Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome back today a previous guest of some time ago, Guy Benstead, Portfolio Manager for the Shelton Tactical Credit Fund at Shelton Capital Management, and they are headquartered in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Guy, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. Glad to be here. So, Guy, you came out of uh, Columbia with an MBA after uh, going to school at uh, UC Davis for your bachelor's. You were with Cedar Ridge uh, Partners, Bear Stearns, Drexel Burnham Lambert, uh, and elsewhere. Uh, You must have some great stories. We'd love to have you back sometime to hear about those storied firms and uh, what you saw happening there and what eventually happened to them, but that, that's not for today. So for the past 30-plus years, you've been in the credit markets, and you've seen changes from probably about 20% interest rates to $15 trillion today in negative interest rates. So uh, we'd, again, uh, love to hear some of your war stories about all of that uh, at some time. So give us a little of your bra- background, will you, Guy? Well, you uh, you you did a pretty good job of covering it. Uh, you know, uh, working uh, you know backwards. Been here at Shelton Capital since January of this year when a uh, firm I helped uh, found in 2004, Cedar Ridge Partners, was merged into uh, Shelton Capital. We took our fixed income business at Cedar Ridge, merged it into the Shelton Capital fixed income businesses. So Shelton Capital's 2.2 billion dollars across you know equity and fixed income strategies. Uh, we have a headquartered in Denver, Colorado, as you as you said, offices in Greenwich, Connecticut, and San Francisco, and um, you know we you know, emphasize your know, growth of value-added products. So we're we're excited to be here. My background in you know credit trading and research and sales you know spans you know back to the 80s of Drexel Burnham Bear Stearns, and um, it's uh, war, war stories for sure, but uh, we'll save those for another day. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll need to. So first of all, let's ask you a question here that's uh, on the macro level, and this is strictly your opinion as, as, as we understand. $15 trillion zero interest rates. I, I've never heard anybody who can make real sense out of zero um, interest rate policy, or ZERP as they call it. But they're there, they're reality, and uh, they seem to be increasing, and there and even those who claim that the United States should start doing that. So tell us, you're on the inside, we're on the outside. I don't hear a lot of specifics about the zero interest rate policy. What do you understand about it, okay, that the rest of us probably don't, good, bad, or otherwise? We're not looking for dirt. We're just looking for a little better understanding here. Yeah, uh, you know, central bank intervention, which uh, really shifted gears as part of a response to the financial crisis in 2007, 2008, 2009, it, you, you enter down a path of, of experimentation, put it that way, and part of the experimentation was 
essentially making money free. And one way to make money free is you can borrow it at zero interest. Uh, when that seemed to work or didn't work, then you know, led by European Central Bank and, and Japan's been there for some time, you're pushing rates even below zero to, to negative. And, and at the time, it was a pretty headline grabbing event. <clears throat> Nowadays, it, it just is <laughs> just right. there. And, and I would say, and I'm, I'm borrowing uh, the thoughts from Alan Greenspan actually here, is that what's most disturbing to me is that people don't seem to care that much about it. And not that they don't care, but it doesn't seem to bother even, you know, people at the highest level of, of financial management and central bank policy is that they just seem to accept them as a, as a, a state of affairs. And that's disturbing because we don't know what the long-term implications are. It's conjecture that, uh, you know, return on savings are low, uh, return for investment portfolios from large institutions are low, and really what's occurred now, and, and, and this is in Europe and, and Asia in particular, the negative rate bond markets have become a version of a currency market. Uh, you, you can make money on negative carry investments, like commodities, but there's usually other. There has to be another source of return if you're not earning money to have the investment. So, if you're buying a billion dollars of negative yielding ten-year German notes, you have to make money some way, and the way you're going to make it most likely is is currency appreciation. So, the investors in that market have to be have almost become currency traders as opposed to bond traders. The you know the the ongoing impact of that on the U.S. is important, even though we don't have negative rates here, it does put some lid on, on how high our rates can go vis-a-vis the currency exchange rate. So it, it becomes a, uh, it, it, when we talk about central bank intervention, the intervention has really uh, you know, found its way in, into so many different pockets of what we do in the bond markets. Well, that's very interesting. Uh... I have not heard that before, how it has changed a, uh, a market from uh, credit risk to currency risk. And uh, so you guys have to become, you folks have to become uh, currency experts in order to make any kind of profit on that. And that's got to have a, a world of challenges unto itself. So, so thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, so, so let's ask, you're over a tactical credit strategy. Now, tactical equity is something that uh, many of us have seen for some time. We basically understand it, getting in and out of various markets. Uh, because of what expectations, but tactical credit. What are the elements involved there, and and how does how do you do a tactical credit strategy? Uh, sure. Yeah. No. I mean, this this gets back to the history of you know equity versus bond markets, and historically, investors would think of equities as a source of active return and fixed income as a source of of, of passive returns, if you will. And and I think that that this 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 time in, in the markets, uh, that's completely changed. Uh, we're seeing more and more money go into passive equity strategies, and the fixed income markets have never uh, offered more uh, risk and more opportunity than they do today. And so what we're attempting to do is focus on our core markets are, you know, U.S.-based, municipal, corporate, U.S. Treasury, uh, preferred stocks, 
primarily as a source of yield and total return. And, and our tactical approach is to look at those markets, make assessments of the direction in those markets, make assessments as a team as to how much risk we want to take in the portfolio, and then do really bottom-up analysis to determine what bonds we want to own and what bonds we don't want to own, and, and even put some short positions in the portfolio. I think that what's, uh, what I like about what we do is that we're – we're like uh, you know cooks in the kitchen, and we have the same ingredients that everybody else does. Every every investor out there that is in the you know, that invests in in the bond markets has municipal bonds or corporate bonds and all these all these items. Uh, and you know asset managers are pretty fluent in those markets, and these are really large multi-trillion-dollar markets. We just put them together differently, and it's a little bit like if you ever watch Chop. <laughs> You know, the, 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 the cooks are given the same basket of ingredients to cook with, and they come up with completely different recipes and different outcomes. So, so our view of tactical is to find those sources of uncorrelated returns that have positive expected return, alpha generation capabilities, risk mitigation, and, and quite honestly, uh, we think that investors should look to the fixed income markets as a source for active return as opposed to the equity markets these these days. So so given that, uh, what misperceptions do you see about tactical credit investing that investment advisors, sophisticated investors, et cetera, uh, don't see? That, that what, what you see and what you think you know in comparison to what you wish they saw? Yeah, I think many people think that tactical means market timing, and and it's not, from our perspective. Also, as you mentioned, investors know tactical in terms of equities, but investors, for the most part, don't understand how the credit markets work. Um, it's just not part of the skill set or the knowledge base that most, even professional investment advisors and, and, and wealth managers, know just enough to uh, to get their credentials, to understand, yeah. you know, how to speak to their clients, and and to make some decisions. Now, there there are many sophisticated fixed income people in in the wealth management and advisory business, but most are not. Most are just have a rudimentary knowledge, and so when they think of a tactical credit strategy, they think it's very complex. And so, as I as I mentioned, our, our strategy we think is really very simple. We simply take the municipal bond allocation, your corporate bond allocation, your treasuries, preferred you know, income generating, you know, things that, that that you and your clients are familiar with, and we mix them together differently to create a different outcome. And I, pre- I presume you, you, you're very active in being in and out, uh, because otherwise, uh, if you're just looking at the yield, uh, how much differentiation can you create? Is, is that accurate? Well, partially. Uh, you know, y- yield is a starting point for every fixed income strategy. So creating positive yield is important. And, and our strategy does create above market yield. Part of what we were talking about with negative interest rates is you know, rates all around the world are low. So, so the starting point for a long-only manager is really difficult when your starting point is you know one, two, three percent. Yeah. You know, we look to we look to you know have that kind of yield, take some credit risk to increase the yield, uh, structure the portfolio for for you know uh, yield maximization, if you will. So yield is a part of our total return strategy, 
but we're really seeking to identify cheap undervalued opportunities that we want to be long those and 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 then even short some some things that we think are rich and overvalued as offsets and, and hedges and our and opportunities to generate alpha the important thing is though yes yes we're we're active but many of these investments have a have a catalyst have a story behind them have something that we think is going to happen. It could be a management change. It could be a uh, positive credit event. It could be something that's cyclical in the industry. And, and it'll take time for those things to, to, to occur and work out. And again, we get some right, we get some wrong. So our performance is driven by those decisions. But it's, it's a, it, is a, it is tactical in the sense that we are always looking at opportunities and always willing to to change up our portfolio mix based on what the market is giving us as far as the opportunity set. Uh, however, it's not a day trading strategy where we're you know, trying to buy it at an eighth and sell it at a quarter. We're, we're attempting to capture security mispricings in the marketplace and manage the portfolio on a tactical basis to maximize total return. Okay. So, so let me ask you a question, and I'm not trying to lead you along here uh, at all, but if I were to uh, interview, uh, let's say survey, 10 uh, tactical credit managers like you guys. Okay, I don't even know if, if there are 10, but let's just say I, I, I found 10 and I surveyed them, and I were to ask them the question, with what kind of overperformance over a benchmark in, 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 in uh, fixed income would you be satisfied Okay, would you be satisfied with one and a half percent over a benchmark per year? Uh, would you be not not be satisfied until five percent? What kind of responses would I probably get? What's the range of responses? Again, not not necessarily Shelton, but in the industry, what is considered to be an adequate overperformance? You follow? Yeah, well, I think so. Well, the, or is that is that a fair answer, question? <laughs> well, um, a, you're, you're, every question is a fair question. Um, I'll do my best to answer. One is you, you, there there are there are certainly are not ten managers that run a tactical portfolio the way we do. We're right. we're the only ones that blend muni corporate. We, we're, I, we've been doing this for sixteen years, and I just I just know. There's no one else out there doing it, but there are there are other active managers. There are other people running tactical credit strategies, and I think to dodge the question a little bit, it depends on what investment vehicle you're looking at. If we're talking about a mutual fund, I think 100 basis points on an annualized basis, year over year, is a pretty good outperformance on a long-term basis. Uh, we're talking about a benchmark that's, and again. There are different benchmarks that people would use. Some people who use a money market, you know, T-bills kind of LIBOR uh, kind of benchmark, and so they want to outperform that by 100 or 150. Uh, we use the, the the Bloomberg Barclays aggregate, which has a higher return overall, and we're, we want to outperform that by 100 to 150 uh, consistently. We're more focused on generating an absolute return in the mid-single digit range in our mutual fund. The you know the benchmarks. You know, much higher than that this year, and sometimes it's lower than that. But you know, we want to be agnostic to whether the market's up or down. We think we can make money. You know, tactically managing the portfolio around market cycles. The if you're looking at a private fund, I think the return expectation is is 
significantly higher, and that's going to be really strategy dependent. And again, it depends. You know, there, there's there's the notion of risk return. So there's the ability to add risk and add return. And and I, I don't know what kind of responses you get. Quite frankly, from ten different managers, you could get. 100 base points. You could get 100 base points to 500 basis points. It just depends on what they're what they're implementing and what they're doing and what their strategy is is trying to beat. Okay, and and I appreciate that response. So uh, tell us the clients that you guys have, the investors in 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 your guys' funds. Are they primarily institutions, individuals, 401k participants, family offices, advisors who bring their clients? Who is it that you focus on and brings business to you? Uh, yeah, I, I would characterize uh, MS sophisticated professional investment advisors who have their clients' best interest at heart. Okay. They're 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 willing they're willing to see through some of the perceived complexities and and identify the benefits for for their clients' portfolios, and they're willing to. These are these are advisors who are willing to kind of step out of the you know, ETFs all the time mantra that seems to be out there. Right. Um, and so, uh, look, I, I would say that our strategy you know, it was founded in a hedge fund. So what we've created is is a strategy availability in a low cost mutual fund format that's available to a broad base of investors, not just the ultra high net worth uh, in, uh, investors. Okay. Now, you, you know, let, let me respond to that a little bit, and, and you give me some input here. Barron's Magazine, for some time, and they, they no longer do it or haven't done it lately, but for some time they would interview an advisor every week, okay? And the advisor uh, would be some big, big advisor who manages, you know, trillions of dollars or something. And uh, these advisors would tell where they're, you know, where they're allocated right now, etc., and in reading that carefully, because obviously I'm going to be interested, I found that almost never did the advisor focus on the fixed income portion of the investments. They always talked a lot about the, uh, the, the equity portion and whether it was tactical, where they put money, where they used ETF, they were stock pickers, etc. But almost always the, the fixed income portion, the conservative portion, was really hardly talked about at all. So given that environment, and these are sophisticated advisors, okay? They don't talk to somebody who's been doing this for six months, etc. So given that, okay, how do you guys overcome the reluctance of these even sophisticated advisors to get into tactical, equity, uh, tactical credit? Well, I, I'd answer that question a couple of ways. One is, is there there is media bias in reporting? So <laughs> really, we, not to, not, not, you've noticed not to pick on, <laughs> not to pick on or, or, or not to pick on Barons, but it, in in their interview, their their advisor may very well have talked about their fixed income allocation, but when they edit it down, the Barons, you know, they take that out because it's it's boring and nobody cares. Um, that's a possibility. I'll put it that way. Uh, the other possibility is that, uh, as we've discussed, you know, fixed income is just less understood by the investment community as a whole. This is one of my original barometers. You know, again, the Wall Street Journal, you know, if you, if you, you know, whoever reads still reads the paper, actually gets the newspaper, and, and opens up the different sections, and there's, let's say there's, you know, 
80 pages of of the paper from front to back. Okay. And and if you were to 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 judge it in terms of real estate in those 80 pages, how much of that 80-page real estate is is dedicated towards commentary or data or anything to do with the fixed income markets. And I'd argue that it's not half, it's not a quarter, it's not 10%. Yeah. It's 5% max. Yeah. So that's what's, that's what's in there. Now, if you talk to most investment advisors and ask them what's their portfolio allocation, oh, 60, 40, yeah. 70, 30, I mean, 20, 30, 40, or 50% of their investments is in the bond market. They just don't talk about it. Right, right. So from our, so from our perspective, we, we, we're, we're, we're talking to advisors about a lot of their asset allocation that is, again, we haven't talked about the risk and reward in the bond market a little bit, but with yields so low and duration so long, the risk-reward trade-off has never been more skewed against the bondholder. Yeah, that's right. So, so it, in, in my view, that it's exactly where their attention should be focused. And there are starting to come out some academic... Um, uh, works that show that because of market inefficiencies, because of the um, lack of understanding in the fixed income markets, it's more likely that an active manager can outperform the benchmark in the bond market than they can in the equity market. And I think that is just starting to filter its way through. And for us, we, we sit down with you know, advisor after advisor one at a time and explain to them what we think, what we do, how it fits, uh, we run pro formas for them as if they, you know, swapped out some of their, you know, mar- market-oriented passive funds for some of our fund, and we show them a return profile, and that's and that just, it just it, the data just bears itself out that having some active fixed income is a smart thing to do with, with for advisors. Now I'll I'll go one step further and say that there's business pressure on every element of our business. And advisors are no exception. And and the advisor who is simply putting their portfolio in Vanguard funds or ETFs runs the risk that their client says, "Well, what am I paying you a fee for? I can just go to my Schwab account and buy all those account, buy all those funds. What are you doing for me from the investment side?" And so, again, part of our messaging is. Let us help you work with your clients for your clients' benefit, show you a strategy that they're not going to get elsewhere, and a return profile that's going to help diversify their, their, their overall return profile. So that's our message. You know, if I can build on that here, okay, uh, Guy, I read, I think it was yesterday, okay, or the day before, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, bond returns. Okay, and this person who's writing it, I I don't know where she's from, but but she ought to be writing about something else. She said, well, he or she, as I recall, is a woman. uh, She said, she said, well, you know, in the past year, bonds have returned nine percent. Okay, and I thought, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. It only returned nine percent for people who sold because that had to include the 
the, the, the unrealized gains that were in the bond. But if you are in a long-only bond fund, there were, no un, there were very few, if any, unrealized uh, realized gains. And so as that principal value rises and falls, kind of like your home, it doesn't make any difference if you didn't sell it. What you really got from your bond fund last year was the yield, was the cash flow. Okay, you didn't get 9%. And so it's only an active manager that will get it for you, right? Am I missing the boat at all on that? Well, I mean, if you're a manager or you're a wealth advisor and you have your client invested in a market and the market's, you know, mark-to-market is 9%, yes, it's not realized, but, but that's what the return profile is going to show. So, you know, if you add, you know, you know, Hundred dollars, and now you got a hundred nine dollars market value. Now, whether you capture that or not is is uh, a decision to be made, you know, by the advisor and the client based on their circumstances. But, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, again, total return is mark to market. Our our funds are mark to market, uh, so our total return, our return is is the return. Um, now, what? <laughs> Interestingly, what you brought up is that return is not necessarily what you keep. Right. And 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 so um, an important aspect of what we do is we think in in terms of you know, we do a lot in the municipal bond market. So excuse me. So our return is also influenced by the fact that our income that we're generating has a lot of tax advantage components to that based right. on the taxes at municipal interest. Right. So, you know, so again, it's not the money you make or the money you think you've made, it's the money you keep. Uh, so there is more elements to that. I, I, I think an article like that is, is th- that's a great example of what the media gives us in terms of fixed income coverage. It's yeah, it's pretty basic. Yeah, it is. It is. So we need to move quickly here, um, Guy. A couple of uh, questions we like to ask our guests. What's the best advice you've ever heard, read, or received about investing? Uh, best advice. Uh, a couple things come to mind. I would say, first and foremost, when thinking about the markets, it's really important to think through all the consequences of what's going on, both intended and unintended consequences of, of actions that we would take, actions that others would take, et cetera. So think through the second and third level of, of, of impact of things. Also, really important to not follow the crowd. Don't trust the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. Uh, think independently. Uh, I, would, I would say even to be contrarian and have conviction and take action. All right. Appreciate it. And the other one is, uh, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners here? Well, I, I, I would. There, there's there's two that come to mind. One is, and they're very different. Um, one is, if you want to understand what goes on in the bond market, the 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 basic, my basic, you know, ten for that is a book called Money Market by Marsha Stigum, which was written in the early '80s originally been updated to I think 2007 is the latest version. It's a it's a fairly dense tome about the bond markets, but it's it's if you want to really understand the bond markets, that'd be the one I would point to. Okay. And another one that I've shared with you before that I think is is very different for thinking in terms of thinking ahead is Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. Oh really? And it, okay. And it, it, yeah, I'm very familiar me, with the book. Yeah, sure. So so to me. 
it's all investment decisions are about not where the cheese is it's where it's going and getting there you know anticipating where things are going a version of of Wayne Gretzky you know, skate to where the puck is going to be right okay well thank you very much we have not had uh, either one of those recommended in our 360 plus interviews before so other than by you so Thank you very much. So for those who would like I, to know I more... Think diff- did, did I say think differently? I think I said that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Independent thinking. Right, right. So uh, yeah, give us uh, how people can learn more um, uh, about uh, the Shelton uh, Tactical Credit Fund here. Well, uh, certainly visit, uh, visit, visit our website at uh, you know, sheltoncap.com. Um, I can be reached if anybody wants to reach out to me at gbenstead at sheltoncap.com as well. Spell Benstead for yeah. us, will you? It's uh, B as in boy, E-N-S-T-E-A-D, and that's preceded by initial G. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, final words for our listeners here, Guy. Well, like I was just saying, these are really unconventional times with you know zero interest rates and negative interest rates and equity markets that are extremely efficient and bond markets that are inefficient. So I'll just say unconventional times call for unconventional thinking. So, you know, we like to think of ourselves as unconventional thinkers, seek out people who think differently, and I think choose to partner up with them is is probably the best way to make money. Guy, uh, no argument uh, from this side here. So thank you very much for joining us today and our best wishes for your and Shelton uh, management, in particular the Tactical Credit Fund's continued success. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Charlie. Again, we've been talking with Guy Benstead, Portfolio Manager for the Shelton Tactical Credit Fund, headquartered out of Denver, Colorado. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear your comments. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.